Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Modern Golden Age Podcast. And today I have with me Maria. And Maria, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure to talk with you. Uh, and I, I was just wondering if you could tell us how to pronounce your surname. Because usually when I do these conversations, people have trouble saying João. But your surname, that I think is Polish, Polish is actually really hard for me to say. So I was wondering if you could teach me that first. Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Maria Gurska-Piszak, and thanks for having me here, Joao. Oh, it's, it's, it's fine. So I'm not, going to, I'm not even going to try to say that because I'll probably butcher it. Uh, so you were one of, like, when I was starting the, the second season of the podcast, I stumbled upon uh, your, your article on your 12 favorite questions. And uh, like the, one of them is, is how, what's your role in this new golden age? But, and we'll get to that. But you have a bunch of other different questions that I really enjoy, and I want to explore it. But first, I, want, I was wondering, like, How did you come up with this idea of, of finding your 12 favorite questions? And what was the process like? Mm -hmm. I think I first saw this idea on Patrick Collison's blog, or it was like another one of Tech Giants. And mm -hmm. the whole premise behind it was like what you focus on is what you're actually going to work on, is what you're actually going to explore. And uh, I really like the idea of exploring questions rather than, than like topics or thesis or answers. Mm. Because if you start with a question, you're never sure where it's going to take you. Like you, you don't get attached to a single idea or to a single point of view or to a single identity. So it took me a long time to put this list together i think like uh, i started on twitter by just posting like one or two that were alive for me at the moment and then i slowly started building this list by looking mm. at common re recurring themes in my life and the common topics that i keep writing about and keep tweeting about mm. and and altogether it came down to like 12 mm. questions and i put this list together almost a year ago and now looking at it i would probably add something more about religion and spirituality mm. but but yeah like that that's beautiful about it like these are all open-ended questions and they are all very broad and they mm. can take me and everyone else in like so many mm. different directions that because like if i put a question like how do we bring about I don't know, communist revolution, then you're narrowing yourself down to a certain solution. And mm -hmm. perhaps like, this isn't the best solution to, the, to all of the world's problems. And I like the term modern golden age because it's broad. Like it's can, it can lead you in like so many different directions. And like yeah. how everybody understands modern golden age can be very different. And it also mm. like it opens a whole area of exploration and so many different possibilities. Yeah, and we'll definitely explore that. You mentioned that right now you would probably had a bunch of questions on, on relationship, on religion, on religion and spirituality. Like, why that is? Have you been thinking about it? Like, what kind of questions have, have been propping your mind around that topic? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I just read a book called Strange Rights, and I think it was recommended to me by Tiago Forte on mm. one of his inter-intellect salons. 
And I really enjoyed reading this book until the last chapter. And I was so dissatisfied with it in the end. So the main thesis of this book is that millennials and like modern people in general are trying to put together, like satisfy their religious needs by putting together lots of different like practices and lots of different rituals. But ultimately, this modern millennial religion, like the author of this book called it like the remixed spirituality, because like you're taking a bit of yoga and a bit of tarot and a bit of mm. this and a bit of that, and you're like building like your own spiritual practice that's like um, a pure reflection of who you are and your personal identity and your personal values. And the main thesis of this book was like, yeah, th we are like very individualistic in our spiritual practice. And ultimately, like all of these practices are like worship of the self. Like you mm -hmm. are your own final God. You, you are your own final spiritual authority. And, mm -hmm. uh, and this whole wellness culture is like cutting out toxic people out of your life, which means like an anyone who demands something from you. And, you know, like I was reading this book and I was like, oh, my God, this book is about me and I don't like it. <laughs> and then in the end, the author was like, OK, yeah, we have this and we have like alt-right, which is like a response, reactionary response to this like very individualistic movement. But it's actually like very individualistic as well. Like it worships like nature and strength and power. But ultimately, like there's no transcendent meaning behind it either. Mm. And and then there's also like social justice, which is also the same thing from another angle. And and yeah, and that that's how the book ended. Like there was no conclusion, yeah. no hint that mm. a different world could be possible could be and possible. a different approach of, to spirituality could be possible. Because, yeah, we mm. have all these traditional religions that suppress the individual in favor of, like, the community and in favor of the tradition and authority and all these things. And uh, this whole, like, reactionary, like, this whole remixed spirituality was a response to that because, like, people don't want to be suffocated. And the things that are happening in, in Iran, for example, right now, are a good example like, of what happens if you take this authority side too far. But on the other hand, like, uh, yeah, if you go too far in the individualistic direction, you end up with like a 20-step daily self-care routine that ultimately, yeah, just doesn't lead you anywhere because you're so focused on yourself. Yeah. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, that 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 makes a lot of sense, and it's actually a problem that I, I I've discussed previously with a bunch of my friends, uh, because I think one of the things that happens a lot, especially in Europe, since we have like this whole Christian uh, tradition, is you're raised a Catholic, and then you start to understand that a bunch of things that don't make sense, and you start having like this inner quest around spirituality, and you either start to completely denying it, uh, which to me, it's not a great solution, or you just do that, where you can, where you create your own kind of relations, your own kind of religion, right? Like a, a, an almost uh, a DIY around spirituality, and and the problem is that it's it's it, it's that 
it may be self-serving, meaning like sometimes religion is, is supposed to help you transcend and, by, and if you want to transcend something, you need to be challenged because you cannot be at, at your current state and still transcend, right? And if I'm just cherry-picking the ideas that I want from all these different religions, what will end up happening is I, I'm always like comfortable, I guess, and and I I'm not sure if that's that's good actually because the religion plays a part on on our own meaning uh, I'm I'm guessing in fact I, I find it curious because there there was one article where um, like even what we can say and we and what we cannot say like the whole relationship around uh, taboos which are not something very good but like you have this one article where you say that uh, dietary taboos are nothing new but given that religions don't carry as much power as they used to food is now one of the very few taboos that most people share and 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 I, I thought that was a very um, meaningful meaningful look at the the different roles of religion and I, I thought that was really really fun that you brought that up so Speaking of the questions that are already there, one of my favorites uh, is actually the second one, where you ask, why has Western civilization given up on beauty? And I know that having those 12 problems or having those 12 questions, because they're so broad, usually you don't get to a, a final answer. But like, I was wondering, what kind of conclusions have you arrived since asking this question? Like, why have, you, uh, why have we as Western civilization abandoned beauty? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw a very fascinating Twitter thread about it recently from a guy who's calling himself, I think, Empty America. And his thesis was that beauty comes naturally from, like, low-tech, hard labor. Like, mm. if you see oxes plowing the fields and a wooden hut somewhere in the background, like, it's naturally beautiful. Like, you don't really have to put any effort into making this beautiful other than the effort of hard work that you're doing anyway. But as soon as people have a chance, like they would rather abandon this hard work and, you know, relax a little bit. So like most of the not so beautiful things around us are born out of convenience. Like we have all this pl plastic food packaging because it's so much easier to distribute this food all around the world. And, you know, like, I complain that like my yogurt comes in an ugly plastic box, but I still buy this instead of making my own yogurt at home because it's so yeah. much more convenient this way. So, yeah, I was wondering about it, like how much convenience can I sacrifice for the sake of beauty and for the sake of environment and for the sake of, you know, ritual, like uh, how much mm. more meaningful it is to make my own yogurt from scratch and then give it to my family versus like buying something ready and, and how much delicious it would be but yeah. but the, in the end like i'm still buying the plastic yogurt for some reason yeah yeah i, I think that like the, the relationship be between beauty and inconvenience is, is something that definitely is worth exploring there's this modern sculpture i is called fan the uh, something i'm i'm not um, I cannot remember his name, but I'll have it on on the the podcast notes. And he basically he's a modern sculptor. He and he says that like, but 
I'm paraphrasing, but the idea is beauty takes work, right? If you want mm -hmm. to build something beautiful, especially beautiful, especially in art, you need to spend time to actually crafting or 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 uh, painting. Or if you're writing a, a, a musical piece, you need to spend time making sure that every single note is aligned with what's most beautiful. And in our current society, I feel like we. We're not optimizing for for uh, artwork and for and for that level of uh, patience and commitment with the project, but but we're optimizing, as you were saying, with with convenience. Like and out in like my second question would be, well, what are what do you think we are losing as as individuals with that? Like the what are the impact? What what is the impact that the lack of beauty has had in us? Mm -hmm. So, I feel like the f main thing that we're losing is like direct relationship with material world. Because mm -hmm. if you're surrounded by like disposable products, like, like if, if everything around you is disposable, like it might as well end up in trash and you can bring another similar object from the shop and nothing changes. So mm. like, sometimes I ask people, like, what's the most beautiful thing that you own? And it's always something that's either handmade or mm. it was gifted to them by someone in a very special occasion and has a whole mm. story behind it. Or it is something that that's made by, you know, very skilled workers with very fine precision, mm. something that can't be crafted in a factory. So yeah. altogether, like, it doesn't really have to be, you know, like very professional gold, ma <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, very professional work. It just has to have some heart put into it. So mm. yeah, like, yeah. I, I made a sweater for my daughter. It took me like many, many weeks to make it because like I'm not very good at handcrafts. And in the end, like, she doesn't want to wear it because, <laughs> I don't know, it's not comfortable enough for her. Maybe I got the proportions wrong. I don't know. And I'm like, well, she's going to be too big to wear it in a few months. <laughs> and it's breaking my yeah. heart. And if it was, like, you know, something bought in the store, I wouldn't care about it. But yeah. because, like, I've put so much work in it, uh, into it and so much love into it, like, this sweater can't be replaced with something else that, that, that I just, yeah. like, bought in a few minutes yeah that that, that makes a lot of sense so uh, i i do want to talk about your daughter and about your family which is uh, which i know is a very important topic to you but i was wondering if you could just talk a little bit uh, more about one other question which you pose and i was going through your questions and uh, i i i did the same exercise uh, a few months ago and i feel like you have done it in a very much Like yours is way better because I I I had all these self questions. I thought, yeah, those these are the questions I found it, and then I forgot about like I mean like ten of them. Only two actually resonate. So I was like, mm, maybe I didn't get it. But but like one one of them that that you posed, and I was like, oh, this is such a great question. Is what does it mean to be educated? And and, and you actually have uh, uh, questions that then go uh, with, with this bigger one, like what skills, understanding, tools, cultural references, experiences, and achievements do people need at the start of their adult lives? What's the best way to acquire all these things? And in what environment does it happen? And so I was wondering, like, 
first of all, do you still resonate with this question? And then I, I think that, that that's a great bridge to what you do actually with, with inter-intellect. So I was wondering if you could talk us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so my relationship with education is a bit complicated. So when I was a kid, like my parents put a lot, lot of time and effort into giving me the best education that they could. Mm. And, you know, like they were the first ones uh, out of their respective families to go to, into college. And this took them mm. out of extreme poverty. So this was like really, really important for, for both of them, for me to be educated. And it ended up with me like being this kind of like prodigy kid and getting mm. all the best grades and winning all the best competitions and then going to college and realizing like I don't know how to learn at all <laughs> because it was always my parents teaching me and mm. I I was you know like completely incapable of like enjoying learning because like it was mm. never my choice or or of you know like learning actually on my own like I didn't really open any book at all until I was like 23 or 24 <laughs> since going to college because like I was so burned out out of learning and so burned out, yeah. out of knowledge and and then like thinking about it I was like okay I'm not going to make the same mistakes with my kid like I will just give her a stick and put her in a puddle and she will just like explore whatever she wants to explore and I will not force her to learn anything and she can be like this free range kid and just like yeah. run around and and do whatever she wants to like, I was thinking about homeschooling or unschooling I have a bunch of friends who are doing this but I, yeah. I was really distrustful of this education system where you need to learn like certain things at a certain time at the same pace as everyone else in the class and it really matters so much like who's the best one in the class and it matters like if you're not the best one in the class you're a failure so like I was really distrustful of, of this thing and of this, this whole educational process that I went through and now suddenly like my daughter isn't even two years old now and she can't really speak yet but she already wants to learn the letters <laughs> nobody mm. suggested this to her like she's sitting at her breakfast looking at the tomato box and she's like mama te, 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 read the letters to me <laughs> And, and you know, like it made me realize like, well, maybe my parents weren't really forcing me to learn all these things when I was a kid. Like if she's like mm. that and nobody tried to teach her letters before, like mm. she really wants to do that. Yeah. So, so yeah, like this is a hard balance between like guiding the kid and showing them like what kind of possibilities there are. Because like mm. if you, if you have a kid who's like lives living in a village and never heard about an astronaut, like, how will they know that this is an option they may want to pursue? But on the other hand, like, if you impose your own preferences and your own ideas about who a kid should become, like, then, then yeah. they might forget, like, what's the joy in learning and what they want, actually want to learn. Yeah. So this is a hard balance. And, like, circling, circling back to your question, like, what kind of experiences an education person needs to have, like, I feel like a lot of it comes from agency and i think agency was somewhere on my list as well which mm. means like the kid have can make their own decisions feel the consequences of these decisions and take responsibility for it and you start like with something small like cooking an egg and then you build yeah. up your skills and build up your confidence that you can actually make things happen and if something yeah. doesn't go well that you have the tools to to deal with it to deal with it 
and yeah. to learn from it and to do better next time. And or or yeah. to help, ask for help if needed. Like, yeah, this mm. is a big one as well. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And the, like, the education to me is like the fundamental step for us to get into a modern golden age. Uh, and it's also the area where I work and I'm passionate about. And I think that, like, what you were mentioning, I was thinking about that is, so the way your parents, like, what what you're saying, like, in in, in the end, it was your daughter, daughter that wanted to learn the letters. It wasn't you that just said, look, we're going to learn the letters right now. But unfortunately, when you get into the educational system, you lose that agency of choice. Like what, what you're mentioning, uh, connecting both ideas was, well, she wanted to learn that. Maybe if she actually pointed out to numbers, you would teach her numbers, right? So she has the agency to pursue the things that, are, that she's interested in. But uh, in, in the educational system, that doesn't happen that way, right? You're, you're forced the specific path that you need to follow. Uh, and, and that's definitely not something good. And one of the things that I really enjoyed about your question also is that it opens the possibility that educated has nothing to do with titles or with specific degrees or with specific colleges, but with skills and, and references and tools. And so that's, that's a, a great question and definitely a, a, a great answer. So I, I wanted to, to jump into the, the family part because like, there's a lot of people that follow people on Twitter and they're very happy because they're like on the verge of what's happening like technologically and they're posting all these different insights about that and that's great and I love them but like the one reason or one of the biggest reasons I use Twitter and love Twitter is because I follow people that are either in a long-term relationship for a long time and are making it work or their parents and are and they are just talking about being a parent because one day I First of all, I have a relationship and I want it to be a long-term one. And also one day I want to be a parent. So I was wondering if you, if you could talk a little bit about those. So I would start with the relationship. I, I, I always ask this for, for uh, couples that are, that are together for a while. Like, what are some of the principles that you practice that allow you to sustain like this relationship uh, for, for longer periods of time? <laughs> I don't think... I'm qualified to answer questions like this. Like, first of all, like I was very lucky <laughs> to find my husband. Yeah, seriously, I don't know how we found each other, but I can't imagine having this successful relationship with anyone else. So, okay. and, and if so, somebody asks me, like, how did I find him? Like, I have no idea. <laughs> it's just luck. It was just luck. No, like, uh, so I... I already mentioned this on Ayal's podcast that like, I came back from a very long business trip and all of my friends were like, oh, Arthur is looking for a wife. And mm. this was very surprising because like, I was like 27 at that time and nobody out of my friends was looking for a wife. Like everybody was like hooking up, going on dates, looking for boyfriends, girlfriends, yeah. partying. And I'm like, well, this guy is looking for a wife. Like, who is that actually? <laughs> you know, yeah. like we knew, we knew each other from work, but we weren't like very close before. And mm. and then I started reading his blog, and I saw a bucket list on his blog, and there was a list like of all the things like he already did, like all the places he wanted to go, all the experiences he wanted to have, like all the things he wanted to build. And there was like a yeah, having a great relationship with my wife and three kids. I'm like. 
Yeah, maybe I should write my own bucket list as well. Like, this is such a great mm. idea. And then I started writing a bucket list and I realized, okay, I'm not going to come up with anything better than he did. <laughs> maybe I should, I should just like take his bucket list as my own and do all these things together. And that's how we started dating. <laughs> that's awesome. That's a great story. Uh, it's yeah. a, uh, uh, speaking, speaking of kids, like one of the things that I'm really, uh, passionate about is, is just, first of all, everything related to kids and having children and, and, and all that, but also like, I'm really appreciative of the fact that you're posting or you're updating on Twitter some of the things that are happening while, uh, while having a child, like what are the good things and the problems or the challenges that, that you're facing. And so I would start first with, with a deeper question and we can get into specifics. Like the question, the main question that I had here was like, what are some of the things that you feel that changed when you were a mother? Mm, oh, this is a huge one. So I don't want this to sound too pessimistic or something, but the ability to rest and recover is like much more constrained. It's not like you can't ever rest, but you need to like make deliberate choices and carve out some time for yourself. So like this weekend, like it was the first time since Eva was born when I spent a night without her and she's almost yeah. two. And like until now, like I was putting her to bed and waking up with her every, almost every night. Yeah. So... So yeah, like the things that you take for granted, like the ability to like come back from work and just like unwind in front of Netflix or Twitter or whatever is your drug of choice, <laughs> minus Netflix. <laughs> so, so yeah, like at this point there comes the baby and she doesn't take breaks. She doesn't, she won't take no for an answer. She can't sometimes wait even for five minutes. So... So yeah, this is the challenging part. The mm. beautiful part is you start rediscovering all of life from scratch again. And you know, like all this, these things you took for granted suddenly become magical and so full of meaning again. Like, uh, I don't know, last week we were reading a book and there was a poem about like mom and daughter going on a walk together and there was a moon following them back home. And we were reading this poem and suddenly Eva noticed there's moon outside of a window. And she was like, there's a moon in the book and a moon on the side. And she climbed as far as she could and raised the book and moon, look, you are in our book. <laughs> and it was it's like so, so cute and so beautiful. Yeah. And <laughs> And, you know, like she's feeding her stuffed animals. She's taking care of our dog and everyone else around. And like, she's so full of love for life and all the little things that I sometimes overlook. And, and yeah, this is like really beautiful. And it, it, it's a treasure to watch her interact with the world, watch her build relationships with, with both like uh, people and animals, but also like objects that I would never imagine having a relationship with, <laughs> like, mm. like this book or, or this movie. Mm. Or... That's beautiful. So I, I was wondering like for, and, and as you mentioned, like Eva is, is, is fairly young, but like if you, let's say that I'm having a child in like a month, besides 
taking time to 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 well yeah for, of course that the the relationship when having a child like the relationship of a father and 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 a mother is only different but like for anyone that's listening and is a mother and is about to have a child in say like a month like what are some of the things that you already learned that you can share that will make it easier for them mm-hmm don't take parenting advice too seriously including this <laughs> yeah so like uh, whenever i was born like i i got really into like some of the parenting books and they were great and most of it was really good advice about like how to have conversations about emotions and like how to navigate anger and frustration and and sadness in, in the child But at the same time, like if you take anything too religi- re- religiously, it becomes a problem on its own. So, like for example, yeah. like I remember reading in one of the books, like never offer food for emotional comfort, because then it leads to like disordered eat- eating habits. And I get that. Like I, I have this problem as well sometimes that like I, I eat not because I'm hungry, but because I'm sad or upset. So like I took that very seriously, and I tried to figure out like. Is my daughter upset or is she really hungry when she was like two months old, which makes no sense at all. But because I read this book and and it was like so so strict about like your child isn't her, their own person, like from the moment they are born, you need to treat yeah. them seriously from the moment they are born. And this is great. But when it comes to figuring out if a child is hungry or not, like maybe... And and yeah, and some of the books were like very strict about like not having pacifiers, and some of them were like very strict about like not having plastic toys or not watching YouTube. Mm. And I'm doing all of this, and you know, like I feel like yes, watching YouTube is not perfect, but if I have a very important meeting right now, like this is the only way for me to have this important meeting, and that's a trade-off yeah. I'm willing to make. And I feel like my daughter will be better off in the end for it. Yeah. Of course, yeah. if, if I put her in front of YouTube like for five hours a day, <laughs> that would be another thing. Yeah. But if it's every once in a while, yeah, like I'm okay with her watching dumb stuff sometimes. Mm-hmm. That's part of yeah. life too. That yeah, of course that that makes uh, a lot of sense. Uh, and I, and I, I'm really sure that a lot of mothers that will listen to this will be like, oh, okay, maybe I should not take parenting advice uh that seriously because i do believe that that's one of the things like once again i'm not a parent yet but like one of the things that i believe is that once you are like everyone starts having like a specific opinion on how you should do it like oh you should do this you should do that like family and friends and everyone is saying the, all these different things and maybe it's really important to understand like the relationship with your child and just uh let it grow from there so i i like Speaking to the family, like one of the things that I, I, I know you guys do is basically you have an RV and you travel like all around. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Like how did that started? What are some of your favorite places? How how's that? Like doing that with the two-year-old? Just give us a, a, a brief understanding of what that does that look like. Yeah, yeah, this is my favorite part. So, like even before the pandemic, like both my husband and I were working remotely. So, we traveled quite a lot, like every three or four months every year, we were somewhere traveling and a lot of it was organized around like business meetups. So, like we had a company meetup say in Canada, so like 
for one month after we stayed traveling in an RV and going to different places in Canada. And then we went to Mexico or Thailand or other places. And, and then the, the pandemic happened and we were grounded at home. So at first we were like, okay, maybe it's a good time to have a dog. So we had ad adopted a dog. And as soon as the dog appeared in our life, like I, I, a few weeks later, I found out I was pregnant. So, <laughs> and we were like, okay, yeah, this is a good time to have both a dog and a kid because like we're not going anywhere. But after a while, like sitting at home and doing nothing started to <laughs> wearing on us. And we realized, okay, like maybe the hotels are closed, but if you come in your own RV and like park it somewhere, like nobody's going to force you out of it. Like you're still social distancing. So yeah, like we were thinking, like we were traveling in RV before, like in Canada twice, I think. But, but this was the time when we were like, okay, if we want to keep traveling at all, like this is, this is the way to go. And so like the first year we, we were only like trying this, in Poland and then and then when Eva was born like the first time we went on a longer trip was when she was five months I think and and you know like a five month old is is very dependent like she she couldn't even sit yet she couldn't even crawl yet like whenever you put her she will just like lay down there and, mm. and at the same time, like, she's not getting into trouble yet because, like, she's too small to get into trouble. So this was, like, pretty convenient. And... Yeah. Yeah, so... Since we started, we went on four trips like this all together. Mm. And uh, our favorite place is like Northern Italy. Like somehow, no matter where we plan to go, we almost always end up in Northern Isn't Italy. <laughs> yeah, we, we started wondering like, if we should buy a house there maybe because mm. there's something, you know, you have mountains and a lake and very close to the sea and delicious food and cheerful people like, and, and the lifestyle is like so relaxed. Like, <laughs> I don't know how we always end up there, but... Yeah. So the best thing about living in an RV is like you open the door and you are in the most beautiful place ever because you can park it anywhere and you can just like make your temporary home in a national park. And if you wanted to like live in a hotel in a national park, like the, there would still be like this common spaces and parkings and then yeah. the road to the actual beautiful place. And, and the campsites are usually like right in the middle of the most iconic views of yeah. all. So, so, you know, like when I live in a city apartment, like I need to cross seven different doors in order to be outside and mm. two, and two elevators when I'm with a stroller. So, so the difference is striking. And, and even if I go outside, like that's a very, you know, crowded neighborhood with lots of huge blocks. Like I don't get mm. mountains or beautiful views here in Warsaw. Mm. And, and yeah, being able to be in nature anytime I want is just striking. And it's like so relaxing and refreshing. And even if I'm working on the road, just like going outside or just like sitting outside and working in, in a beautiful place does wonderful things yeah. to my mind and soul. Yeah. 
So what are some of the, like, you mentioned, like, your favorite place being northern Italy, but, like, what are some of the favorite views you've already, you already, uh, you have had, like, the moment where you opened the window and saw the, those amazing uh, views, like, what are some of your favorite? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, like Garda, it's, uh, yeah, it's in, in northern Italy, very close to Verona, and, mm -hmm. and it's, like, a very big lake. On a cloudy day, you can't even see the other side of, it, of the lake. Mm. And if you can see the other side, there are some like majestic mountains out there. And yeah. another one is uh, Sesto, and the German name is Sexton. This is like on the Italian and Austrian border, and mm. in, in Dolomiti Mountains, Dolomiti National Park. And these are like very monumental, very sharp edges of the mountains and it's a good place for skiing but also in the summer there's a lot of things to do there as well like i went there paragliding and it was the most magical mm. experience ever and what what else like i really enjoyed carrara also in northern italy <laughs> carrara because you have sea on one side and a huge mountain on another and there's like a a marble mine on the side of a mountain so you can see like the mountain being slowly eaten mm. away by this marble mine and and the locals complain that somebody's stealing their mountain but yeah. it still looks pretty nice what else uh, oh if we speak about like things that can't be done in rv there's also cape town Yeah, I, I wouldn't go from Poland to Cape Town in a car. Oh, okay. yeah. But, but yeah, it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. So you, you get the mm. sea and the table mountain that's like super flat and very tall. And there's a, and like if you travel from Cape Town along the coastline going east, you can just have like a thousand kilometers of one majestic place after another. Yeah. And yeah, that 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 sounds amazing. Uh, yeah, so like you were just mentioning, it, it just hit me like all these different uh, landscapes are actually reflections of beauty, right? And making like mm -hmm. a full comeback. Like I was, it, when when we start uh, talking about beauty, you, you mentioned you had a question. I was like, I have to ask her this question, but then I forgot, so I, I'm bringing it back using your uh, your your references of these beautiful places to ask you what two questions. So first, what's the most beautiful place you ever been to? And second, what's the most beautiful object you own? Hmm, the most beautiful place I've ever been to, and I think. I want to be objective here <laughs> because that's where my husband proposed to me mm. is, oh, okay. is a Banff National Park in Canada. It's kind of like Alps, mm. but, but less crowded. Like there's like very few people in Canada overall. And Banff is probably like the most crowded place in all of Canada, but still there aren't very many people. And mm. you can tell, like, I have something for mountains. Like, actually, like, yeah. my, my last name, Gurska, means of the mountains. So, like, mountains oh. are a recurring theme in my life. Yeah. So, yeah, Banff National Park. It's, it's so wild. We could see moose and deer and bear and, like, all these wild animals just, like, going awesome. on hikes. 
And, and the object, I think this would be my engagement ring. And mm. I would show it to you, but I'm not sure where it is right now. But it, it's also like from, from there, from Banff. And this is mm. like the only place in the world where they have a certain kind of stone that's made out of fossilized ammonites. Mm. So this is like a shell of an ancient snail that's fossilized mm. and it has all the colors of the rainbow. Oh. And yeah, and it that, only comes from there. So this is that, a very meaningful thing. Yeah, that does look beautiful. So, uh, so first of all, thank you for, for answering. And, and, and moving on and, and approaching like the, the modern golden age, like the one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show was because you... I, I already I was already following you for a while, but then you entered in into intellect as as a producer, if I'm not mistaken, and and because of that you actually mentioned like this idea of me doing a salon with uh, with Cecile about like uh, a modern golden age, and and I was wondering like first of all could you explain what you do in into intellect and what are like your mission uh, around it and then we'll get into the, the 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 golden age finally so basically the question is what what's your role in intellect in the intellect mm -hmm. yeah so I'm a producer which means like I talk to hosts and people who don't even know they might be a host yet and encourage them to host a salon. And the salon is like a video or in-person conversation on a topic you care a lot about. So, for example, like next week I'm hosting a salon interview with Lenore Skenazy, who's an author of Free Range Kids. And she's a childhood freedom advocate. So like a lot of the topics we mentioned here in this conversation are going to happen there as well. Like talking about like agency and cultivate and letting kids learn what they want to learn and building emotional yeah. resilience and stuff like that. But you can talk about like any topic that you like and you don't need credentials in order to host a conversation about something. What you need is to be able to create space where everybody feels welcome and everybody feels safe to talk what's on their mind and behave polite <laughs> and be kind to each other. So we've had like over 2000 different conversations so far over the last few, like, few years. And they were on like all sorts of topics, but like what's common between them is this kindness and being able to navigate like potentially heated topics with grace and compassion and humor and and yeah some of this were like life-changing experiences i've been to a bunch of those mm. and some of this are like very intellectual some of this are very emotional some of them are really artsy and uh, and yeah we have like all sorts of people who come in order to learn something new or in order mm. to make friends or in order to like figure out like who else is working on similar problems as they are mm. and connect with them. Yeah. Yeah. And you're doing a, a very good job at it because you are the one that made me realize that uh, hosting a salon wasn't like this big monster that I thought it was. Uh, and so, and so thank you for that. So, 
getting into the modern golden age, just to give you a little bit of, of context. So I started this podcast because I saw that Visa meme where he has all these dominoes and it says like, if, if we tackle them all, we'll get to the golden age of humanity. And I was like, oh my God, I am moved by this. I want to be part of this somehow. I have no idea how, because my ideas aren't ideas that are good enough to move people towards the golden age. So what can I do? And I realized that I, I'm a very curious person. I really enjoyed conversations and I consider myself a rather good listener. So I was like, oh, I can talk with people about this topic and, and try to understand like what are some of the next steps in order to get there. But after realizing that, I spent like three months starting to, trying to come up with this perfect vision of what a modern golden age is. And I, I said to myself, well, I, can, I cannot start a podcast on a modern golden age if I don't have like a clear definition. Like I, I'm supposed to be the expert on, on the topic, right? And so after three months of not doing uh, anything, basically, I realized this makes no sense because who am I to individually say what a modern golden age looks like? Right? And so because of that, what I've been trying to do is to talk with a lot of people that I find have... Uh, a vision for the world that somehow uh, meets with this idea of a modern golden age and just trying to ask the same question to a lot of people and then understanding like what are some of the common threads and what are some of the patterns. And so once I did that, I started to have these conversations and that being said, I was wondering if you could share with us, like when you hear the term modern golden age, like what does it come to mind? Like, what's your personal definition of it? Uh, without any pressure, because as I said, like, I've had, like, a lot of different answers and, and it's there's no such thing as a, a, a specific right answer. But I was wondering if you could give us, like, what's your take on it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so recently I read a book about Leonardo da Vinci and how he grew up in this golden age ecosystem of renaissance florence and then milan and um, multiple times through the whole book there was this notion of having many smart people from different arts working together so it wouldn't be just painters or just sculptors or just philosophers or just writers each of them working on their own stuff like they would all like come together and uh, some of them were at the Medici court and some of them were at the Borgia court then in Mi Milan. And that's how new ideas happen. You put people from like all walks of life and all sorts of interests and all sorts of specialties. And if, if this, all, all these different sorts of people come together and try to exchange their ideas, like something interesting will sh surely happen because you're out of your silos. And like currently when you think about like this education system and especially like the higher education and academics, like uh, everything is like very, very specialized. And mm. some, you know, some people will refuse to talk about something like that's very slightly out of their area of expertise because they fear they might be wrong. But mm. yeah, a golden age means yeah, all these intersections of all these different ideas coming together in order to figure out like what's a good life and um, yeah. and yeah, I I'm not sure if I'm making sense here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so this is one thing about this like Leonardo 
Renaissance Golden Age thing. But when we、mm. map this onto the present day, like we have this magical force called the internet, and I'm still amazed by like how. Many people are not taking advantage of it. Like out of all、yeah. my high school or college friends, like I'm the only one who's active on Twitter, <laughs> and I don't know why. Like, wh- where is everyone else, and why aren't、yeah. they participating in in all of this? But but yeah, you have this opportunity to connect with people who like live on completely different other side of the globe and are asking、yeah. the, themselves. The same questions, and yeah, us having this conversation is also a part of it. But at the same time, like you know, how easy it is to get pulled into like all this political or religious or semi-religious drama. So we have these tools at our disposal, and we can use them to connect with things we want or with things we hate.、Yeah. And it it all comes back to this visas idea of like focusing on what you want to see more of. Mm. But, but yeah, like in order for people to focus on what they want to see more of, like they will need to think about like what is it actually that they want to do、yes. and want to see and want want to like see manifested in the world, and、yeah. and you know like our current schooling system doesn't really encourage people to ask themselves these questions, and I I know like I'm repeating myself probably because like every Every thread or idea in my head like comes back to this: like our schools don't teach people agency, and、yeah. as long as like you're waiting in a corner and waiting for an adult to come and make things right, this golden age isn't going to happen. Like, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, that. So first of all,、uh, did, did you finish? Sorry, I, I interrupted、um, you. I don't know if I finished or not. So yeah, like I want to. So, for example, like sometimes when there is like a challenging situation, I have this tendency to like hide under the blanket and wait for it to go away. And I feel like a lot of the modern problems are caused by like people doing exactly this, like hiding under the blanket. And either waiting for for the problem to go away by the, by itself, or waiting for someone else to come and make things right. And I'm as guilty of it as anyone else, and I, I keep doing this all the time. But in the end, like no, nobody's coming to save us. Like if there's hope for the world, it's like in every single person realizing, okay, like I. I am the one who's supposed to come and make things right, and of course, like you can't hold the whole wor- whole weight of the whole world on your sho- shoulders on your own. But as as with cooking an egg, you learn one single thing, simple thing, and you realize you are capable of doing something, and this builds up to your confidence, and then you can try the next thing and the next thing, and figure out like where your boundaries are and how far you can go. And where to、yeah. ask for help, and how far you can go together with other people, but, but yeah, like, in order to start, you need to realize that yeah, this is you who is supposed to to do all these things, and、yeah. and I'm still learning this all the time. I'm still unlearning this like sense that yeah, here is your curriculum. This is what you're supposed to do. And don't read any other book under the table because you're not supposed to. <laughs> and 
And yeah, that's why I come back to this education thing all the time because mm. everything else flows from there. And and now that I'm hosting the salon on free range kids, like I, I begin to ask myself, like, okay, how can you raise a free range kid if you're not an adult, free range adult yourself? Middle. Yeah, like if you're still doing something because somebody's telling you to and out of a sense of obligation that might not even be real and out of the sense that yeah i need to do this and do that because everybody else is doing that yeah i'm probably not as coherent here as i would like to be but <laughs> no no but 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 th there were a lot of things as you said that can be impact so first of all like the idea of I talked about this with Andrew in a previous podcast where we talk about like the connecting different people in the same space, like that, that like creating seniors when you connect a bunch of genius on the same scene and the projects emerge. So that makes a lot of sense. And also like your insight on like the reason why, so Visa in his meme actually has like golden age of humanity. And only recently I look back at my own like notes and I realized that the modern was something that I put there because I originally thought uh, that that was Visa. But like, as I was thinking about it, I realized that it, it makes a little sense because for the first time in the world, in, in human's history, basically, you can have a golden age that's not bounded by a geographical constraint, right? It, it, as you mentioned, like the, the, Vinci's, uh, the, the Vinci and the Borges and the Medici, all of them were in Italy, in Florence, in Milan, in a specific place. The same thing happens with Islam, Islamic golden age. So all of these golden ages used to be strictly um, bounded to, to, to spaces and the internet allows for that to happen online and then leak out into the real world. So that makes a lot of sense as well. And he, he, like my my next question would be what kind of practices do you think we should aim at in order to get to a modern age? But you can kind of solve that or answer that by, by pointing out this idea of increasing individual agency, which is something, by the way, that almost all the guests mentioned, like this idea of understanding that the only way for us to get into a modern golden age as the collective is to first get into like the golden age version of ourselves, right? And, and, and focus on how can we improve that craft and, and finally tying that all that with, with education makes a lot of sense. I, I you, like, I'm not sure when this episode will come out, but like yesterday, uh, I, I was seeing this, this question by this Twitter account called Rebel Educator, and he, she actually was asking um, what, are, what, what is something about the traditional um, educational system that just makes you like, feel angry? And, 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 I, and I responded with the lack of ambition, because education is like the best tool that we can have. And the, the traditional educational system has access to most of, of the future minds, and yet we aim at mediocrity, right? And so if we want to get to a golden age, we, can, we need to have like a change, a fundamental change in education, either on the traditional system or, or by creating a lot of alternative systems that allow for kids to develop ambition agency, the ability to think for themselves, critical thinking, like even metacognition and, and think about their own thoughts and question their own beliefs. So I think that what you just mentioned was like this fully complete answer to not only what a modern golden age is, but like how can we get there? I, I, I would like to end though with, with one last question, which is when you think about the modern golden age, what kind of values do, do you associate with it? Hmm. So... Yeah, that's a huge question. And um, 
I feel like just connecting people and connecting ideas and giving them opportunities is not enough. Like, uh, there are very agenting people who aren't necessarily doing good in the world, you know. So when I try to orient myself, I ask myself questions like what kind of a world I want my daughter to grow up in and her, her children and their children. And I don't know, like what kind of a world I want my grand, 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 thousand times grandchildren. <laughs> what kind of things I want them to experience. And the thing is, like, um, with this whole technological revolution, it's really easy to forget about, like, the material, physical world. And it's kind of the thing that I mentioned, like, we're out of convenience, we're getting rid of beautiful objects because they're, like, too difficult to make, too difficult to maintain, too upsetting when something breaks. And, and yeah. then you realize, like, you can't raise a child on a computer alone. Well, you, you can try to, but it won't be <laughs> probably a wise choice. So yeah. it's cool to have online communities and I love having online communities, but in the end, like I'm not going to raise my daughter online. I need to like find like-minded people right where I live so that she can play with their children together and they have some nice places to go to. So it all starts on the ground up. And I wish I had better answers to this, but I'm still searching. Like I'm, I'm still searching for a local community and a local group of people yeah. that would be aligned with, with what, what I value. Yeah. And the closest I got to this was like the shamanic communities aligned around like plant medicine ceremonies, but mm. that's still like happening like every once in a few months. It's not like a mm. people you meet every day. So, so as I mentioned before, there's this balance between like in individuality and, and the sense of collective. So when thinking about values, like I, I know like my personal values are, are around beauty and love and, uh, and you know, <laughs> it's, it's a bit challenging to talk about it, but yeah, yeah I feel like, um, there will be very many different communities focused around like different values. Like some of them might value like the sense of adventure and heroic quests. And some of them might, might value more like this sick safety and coziness and feeling at home and, and peace and love. And, and it's all good as mm -hmm. long as, as there's this broader perspective and not just like focusing on your private individual, individual. self. And yeah. I feel like thinking about like all the generations who will come after. So like not just your own kids, but like thousand generations before and thousand generations after is a mm. good way to like broaden your perspective, like, yeah. and to honor like the legacy you get from your ancestors. Like I, I know it's very popular these days to be upset at your ancestors or like ashamed of them. <laughs> and I kind of get it because like I was there too. And it, and, you know, then, then I think about, like, my grandmothers who, like, lost children and had to live through war. And they lived through horrors that I can't really imagine. 
And like, who am I to judge their choices? And who am I to judge like how they raised their kids if they yeah. had to live through through things like this? So, so yeah, it's like very useful for me to have this perspective that like it's not just about me. It's not about my children. It's about this like whole stream of life that starts like many thousands of years ago, and will continue yeah. for many thousands of years after yeah. us. Yeah, that was a very beautiful answer. Uh, Maria, once again, thank you so much for being on the show. The last question is if people want to connect with you, if people want to find you, where they can do it? Yeah, they can connect with me on Twitter. Like I'm most active there and I'm made underscore in underscore cosmos. Or you can go to madeincosmos.net where I occasionally yeah. write something. Hopefully I will become more active again soon. <laughs> Perfect. Maria, once again, thank you so much. It was delightful to have you here. If everyone listening, please go follow Maria. We'll have the links for our social media on, on the description of this podcast. And maybe if you like, please leave a rating at your favorite podcast platform. I'll see you all on the next episode. Bye-bye. Maria, once again, thank you so much. Thank you, Joao. It was a pleasure. Mm-hmm.